0: timeless truths for all seasons. I just continue to stress that we need the timeless truths of God's word to live by because we definitely live in truthless times. We live in times where nothing is honored for the most part that is sacred, something that is set apart and holy by the Lord God. And you and I are people that have looked to the Lord and trusted him with our lives. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we have given ourselves to him to do our very best to be faithful to the very end whenever that end may come for each one of us. So the Lord is who we look to to find the right and the wrong of anything. And I hope today as we conclude this series this timeless truth that we see will be one that truly encourages you with joy and celebration in your hearts. Because the people of God are to be a people that are celebratory. We are to be a people that rejoice and That doesn't mean that we have everything we want in this life. It doesn't mean that everything's going great. It doesn't mean that we don't have losses, that there's not sufferings that we go through. But it simply means that we have our eyes so focused on the Lord Jesus Christ that no matter what we are dealing with on this side of heaven, we can see through it to the person and the accomplishment of Jesus Christ that God has brought about. And therefore, we are happy. Therefore, we are joyous. Therefore, we celebrate. There's nothing worse than going into a church family where it looks like people have been baptized in sour vinegar. Nothing worse than going into a church family where no one's hugging or shaking your hand. There's nothing worse than going in to a church and it feels like a funeral home. All somber and quiet. That is not a representation of the church and God's people that we find in Scripture. Psalm 118 verse 25 tells us, Shouts of joy and victory resound in the homes of the righteous. You think about that. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the homes of the righteous. Now, David, as he's writing this psalm, doesn't use that just as a hyperbole, some good trite expression or statement. Whenever you are focused on the Lord and He is your God, and as we read the congregational reading this morning, those first four verses, we know the Lord's love endures forever. And the response in David's time by the people of God and King David, chosen by the God Himself to tell us what our response should be, is... Let all of Israel, let Aaron, let all those who fear the Lord say what? The Lord's love endures forever. That's a timeless truth, but that's not our timeless truth today. But it's a timeless truth. Amen? The Lord's love endures forever. And we can take comfort in that. And we can take confidence in that. But that's how he opens up those first four verses, and then he goes from verse 5 on and starts talking about victory and deliverance and God's hand was with him. He was never alone and that salvation, salvation, salvation is his because of God. And yet in that, David says, there were times that I was surrounded by my enemies like a swarm of bees. But I called on the name of the Lord. And he cut them off. He cut them off. See, there's power in God's name. And there's a power in belonging to God. That when you and I invoke the name of the Lord in true humility. Lord, protect me by the power of your name. Lord, keep me safe. By the power of your name, deliver me out of this situation. David says, God honored that cry in his name because he had a heart that was always going before the Lord in joy and celebration and rejoicing. Is your home, is your home a place of joy and celebration? And be honest with yourself. And I don't mean joy and celebration because you've got all the gadgets. Is your home a place of joy and celebration Because your home is a household of people that look and trust the Lord. Is the Lord the joy of salvation? Are the shouts of joy in your household coming in honor and recognition for what the Lord is doing and has done in your life? How are you being joyful? How are you celebrating with shouts of joy in your life what God is doing in your life? Everybody knows what a little white Dutch clover looks like, right? They're they're in our yard. The bees land on them. Have you ever seen a raspberry-colored Dutch clover? Beautiful. Beautiful. Have you ever seen a blackberry bloom? If you follow me on Facebook, you've seen lots of them. The most beautiful bloom, the most delicate bloom I think there is. The rain this morning. Just that cool rain. And you could just go on and on of things that we could rejoice and celebrate the way God is blessing us. Well, I want you to look at this passage of Scripture from Psalm 118. David says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. David acknowledges that God is the source of his salvation. And I think all of us as believers in the Lord would acknowledge that God is the source of our salvation. We would look at it through the New Testament lens and say, God, through Jesus Christ has brought Jesus, the Messiah, to be the source of our salvation. Do you speak that way in your life publicly? The Lord is the source of my salvation. That's what David says here in verse 21. Look at verse 22. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, if you leave the building this morning going through the doors out of the main exit, if you look to the right, you'll see this big stone with Isaiah 28, 16. If you remember the foundation stone series we did, everybody stood on that stone as a way of saying, the Lord Jesus Christ is my foundation. He is the rock. Well, this passage of Scripture in Psalm 118, as we move real soon to this timeless truth for today, we see David looking this prophetic prophecy regarding the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You're the source God of my salvation. And this stone, which is Jesus Christ, that the builders, the religious community, they have rejected and will reject has become the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is the main stone. The cornerstone is the strong stone. The cornerstone is the tested stone. The cornerstone in a building is the main stone that brings the walls together. And, and everything is based and built from that cornerstone and its strength. Sometimes it's even referred to as the capstone, which is the last stone to go on a building, a doorframe, as a reminder of the value of that stone and what it signifies as God has delivered. And so here, David says, you are my salvation. And you are the source of my salvation." And you have done that through this stone. This stone that the builders have rejected. But I didn't reject it. You're here today. If you belong to him, you've not rejected the cornerstone. You've not rejected the foundation stone. You have found goodness and glory and your salvation in that stone. And he says, this is the Lord's doing. God has brought it about. And it's marvelous in our eyes. You see, when we think of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us, what God has accomplished through Him, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the hope that He gives us, and the grace that He allows us so that through our faith we can become His child, we also should say that is marvelous in our eyes. When have you ever thought this thing or that thing is absolutely marvelous? Just, it's outstanding. It's incredible. I can't hardly fathom it. That's where David is going in this line of reasoning. As the children of God, we see what God has done. And we understand it brings salvation. And we have that salvation through Jesus Christ. And we step back and we look at it and we understand it, body, soul, and spirit. And we say, this is a marvelous thing God has done. It's a marvelous thing God has done. So as much as Peter misses His wife, Barb, so many years of marriage. And as hard as it is to live day by day because of the longing to be with her, God's promise is you'll see her again. You've got to look through the lens of faith, not at everything in this world, but to Jesus Christ. And that's what David meant when he said, I will not die. I will live. Oh, praise God for the cornerstone. And that is a promise to us all. You know, maybe we have to get on the other side of this earth and be in the heavenly realm to fully understand how marvelous it is for what God has done for each and every one of us. I hope to some degree we we all can be moved, moved by what He has done, that great sacrifice. I hope we can be moved because when we understand it as truly marvelous, we break out With shouts in our homes. The Lord's love endures forever. The Lord is good to me. The Heavenly Father is kind. Look at His mighty deeds. Look at the deliverance He has walked through with me. It changes everything about who you are. And the way that you respond to God above Whenever you see Him as marvelous, and I pray that you see Him as marvelous. And then the timeless truth in verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We all know that, right? Sometimes we even may use it it's used in several different ways, and they're probably all accurate. Sometimes we say, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Something's going on, some circumstance, some event. Sometimes it's not a good event. And we just simply say, God's in control. God made this day. God is sovereign. I'm going to rejoice in spite of, of what's going on. And so This is the day the Lord has made in in the general sense. Every day is the day the Lord has made. The Lord has, has made this world. He's created everything in this world. He's created the earth's orbit. He's created the planets. He's created the stars. He's created the moon, the oceans. He's created the sun that rises and sits. Every day. So every day in one sense is... I'm going to enjoy this day because my God is in control. And whether it's a good event or a difficult event, let my spirit say this is the day that the Lord has made. Now for David in context, for him, it's definitely a referral to the Sabbath where the people of God would come together and they would praise God through the reading of Scripture and they have their shouts of acknowledgement to God. And so David says, for me and and for the people of God, the Sabbath, this is a special time for us to gather in His name. And so we rejoice in this Sabbath day. But for us, because of the cornerstone, It's the gospel day. Because that prophecy has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the gospel day. And that gospel day defined is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we gather week after week, We pray, we we hear messages from scripture, sermons, we sing, we give. All those things are important parts of worship, but the heart of worship is Our hearts, minds, body, soul, and spirit, and all of our strength as an individual coming together collectively as a congregation is on what God has done through Christ. And it is a celebration of the death and the burial and the resurrection from the grave, the empty tomb on the third day. That's what we celebrate. And so when we come together, we may have coffee, and we may have cookies, and we may go to class. But we look forward to the time that we come together as the church, like Israel did on the Sabbath, as the body of believers, the apple of God's eye. And we set this time aside to praise His name and give thanks for all things. That is the gospel day. We should never take church for granted. Now, we're not being legalistic. It's not a thus saith the Lord necessarily like, well, I'm traveling down the road and I've been traveling for nine hours and it's I've got to find a church. And I'm out of town. And I don't know where to go, but I've got to go because I've got to have that check on my list. And if I don't, you know, I've done something wrong and I've sinned. It's not that kind of thing. But the family of God, the body of believers, they know the importance of gathering together because it is a desire of God. When when, when we as individuals see the importance of the gospel day and what it represents and how we participate in that gospel day, the joy and the celebration and the raising of hands and the bowing of head and heart and the prayers that are going on while we're singing, that is the gospel day, but it's all to His glory and His honor, but we're all blessed by it. And each and every person that's made a commitment to God must also make a commitment to His church, which is the pillar and the foundation of truth. I've said this many times through my 12 years of being here, but I hear all the time in today's world, give me Jesus, but not the church. Give me Jesus, but not the church. And I really do understand, and I think you do, what what people are saying. The church has let me down, and that may be true, and it may be false. I don't like church. I don't like this, or I don't like that. Whatever it may be, give me Jesus, but not the church. Really, it is Jesus who died to create the church. Upon this rock, upon me, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Creating the church, his bride will... Was the reason Jesus came into this world. It's important to Jesus. It's critical to Jesus. And I would like us all in our hearts, with the Lord, whenever you feel the time is right for you, to reestablish with God how important and critical you desire His church. To be in your life. Now. We're a body of believers. That happen to come here. We're the church here. In this location. And there's many churches. In many locations. We all decide. Where God is leading us. Where we feel like a family. Where we feel like. Uh, the reality of truths. Are being taught. But once we decide. We We get. Behind that Birch family, we put our hands to the plow and we don't look back. Now, don't take this next statement as a slap on the wrist. Because I don't mean it that way. But I have thought, how do you say this without it sounding? Sort of like a slap on the wrist. You know, we live in a day and time and a culture that has many good things. We're a little bit more loose, a little bit more relaxed. You know, if I went, go back just into my early Christian life as a minister, uh, you, you wouldn't have coffee in the church. You'd, you'd never have that. In fact, I was in one church where we were getting ready to have a week's revival, and they had coffee downstairs... After the revival that 's what it was going to be used for, but they plugged it in, and somehow it started, and you could smell that coffee aroma coming through you know the floor and One guy was so offended because of his doctrine review, which I think was wrong and silly, but it was his, got up and, and stormed and, and left the church service because he could smell that coffee. but you know now we drink coffee, and we we understand that this is a church family, this is the house of the Lord. What we do as a family, we do as a family. It's natural. But here's maybe where we're a little bit too relaxed. Please continue to fellowship your hearts out after service and before service. That's a good thing. And this church is one that loves to celebrate and fellowship. Watch Sunday after worship service or before. I've just never seen so much talking, and it's great. But I want to say to you, and here it comes ten forty-five. Ten forty five is our start time. Ten forty five is our call to worship the Lord. And if you can help us by being in, in here at 1045, willing to worship the Lord and have a presence of mind, I'm pleading with you. Now, I've had some muscles saying, I'll, let me take care of it. It's like, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. What if we shut the door? That, that. What if we blink the lights? These are adults that love the Lord. They're just having so much fun fellowshipping. But there's something very precious when a call to worship resounds. And no more than I preach and teach this, I'll be the one that misses it next week. But I am taking and setting apart for myself to 1045. There's nothing magic about it that I don't want you to miss if we have a congregational reading. I don't want you to miss a time of praise or testimony to the Lord. So just want you to think about that because the church and our worship of God is important. Paul, in talking about what Jesus Christ has done as regard to the cornerstone, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you as well. Jesus, Paul, talking about the healing of the man that had just physical ailments. This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. And you could even go to 1 Peter and look at that scripture. I just want to show you that. that right there is the Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen or the Psalms 118, verse 23, the cornerstone, the cornerstone, the cornerstone. But look here in Hebrews chapter 10 as the Hebrew writer sums this up. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. For he who promised God, Jesus Christ, is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, how do we do that and when do we do that? Not neglecting to meet together. The importance of the church gathering as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more. As you see the day approaching. Well this day approaching here is one of two. Most believe it's, it's that final day. The return of the Lord. As you see it drawing near. Oh, see the value of coming together, encouraging one another along in this life of being faithful to God. But some translators, scholars think it's really talking about that first day of the week when God's people gather as a church. Whichever one it is, or if it's both, we see the value. It is the Word of God that a believer understands that the church gathering, the meeting together is critically important and should be set apart in our lives where we continually, authentically keep the Lord's day to honor Him. So with that, this is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I pray that you will rejoice with me and that we will rejoice together and God will receive the glory. Amen. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, as we continue to worship you in this next song, let us set you and the church you died for apart in our hearts and let that be seen in our lives and our response now. Let joy and victory be shouted here and in our homes as we live for you daily. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.